Chapter eighty. What shall we play? Youth cannot be made as sedate and grave as old age. The child as sober as the sire. While sinful amusements are condemned as they should be, let parents, teachers, and guardians of youth provide in their stead innocent pleasures, which will not taint or corrupt the morals. Do not bind down the young to rigid rules and restraints that will lead them to feel themselves oppressed and to break over and rush into paths of folly and destruction. With a firm, kind, considerate hand, hold the lines of government, guiding and controlling their minds and purposes, yet so gently, so wisely, so lovingly. That they will still know that you have their best good in view. There are amusements such as dancing, card playing, chess, checkers, etc., which we cannot approve because heaven condemns them. These amusements open the door for great evil. They are not beneficial in their tendency, but have an exciting influence. Producing in some minds a passion for those plays which lead to gambling and dissipation. All such plays should be condemned by Christians, and something perfectly harmless should be substituted in their place. While we restrain our children from worldly pleasures that have a tendency to corrupt and mislead, we ought to provide them innocent recreation, to lead them in pleasant paths. Where there is no danger, no child of God need have a sad or mournful experience. Divine commands, divine promises show that this is so. Wisdom's ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. While we shun the faults and artificial, discarding horse racing. Card playing, lotteries, prize fights, liquor drinking, and tobacco using, we must supply sources of pleasure that are pure and noble, and elevating. Gymnastic exercises fill a useful place in many schools, but without careful supervision, they are often carried to excess. In the gymnasium, many youth, by their attempted feats of strength, Have done themselves lifelong injury. Exercise in a gymnasium, however well conducted, cannot supply the place of recreation in the open air, and for this our schools should afford better opportunity. I do not condemn the simple exercise of playing ball, but this, even in its simplicity, may be overdone. I shrink always from the almost sure result. Which follows in the wake of these amusements, it leads to an outlay of means that should be expended in bringing the light of truth to souls that are perishing out of Christ. The amusements and expenditures of means for self-pleasing, which lead on step by step to self-glorifying, and the educating in these games for pleasure, produce a love and passion for such things that is not favorable. To the perfection of Christian character, 
The way that they have been conducted at the college does not bear the impress of heaven. It does not strengthen the intellect. It does not refine and purify the character. There are threads leading out through the habits and customs and worldly practices, and the actors become so engrossed and infatuated that they are pronounced in heaven lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. In the place of the intellect becoming strengthened to do better work as students, to be better qualified as Christians to perform the Christian duties, the exercise in these games is filling their brains with thoughts that distract the mind from their studies. Is the eye single to the glory of God in these games? I know that this is not so. There is a losing sight of God's way and His purpose. The employment of intelligent beings in probationary time is superseding God's revealed will and substituting for it the speculations and inventions of the human agent with Satan by his side to imbue with his spirit. The Lord God of heaven protests against the burning passion cultivated for supremacy in the games that are so engrossing. Vigorous exercise the pupils must have. Few evils are more to be dreaded than indolence and aimlessness. Yet the tendency of most athletic sports is a subject of anxious thought to those who have at heart the well-being of the youth. Teachers are troubled as they consider the influence of these sports both on the student's progress in school and on his success in afterlife. The games that occupy so much of his time are diverting the mind from study. They are not helping to prepare the youth for practical, earnest work in life. Their influence does not tend toward refinement, generosity, or real manliness. Some of the most popular amusements, such as football and boxing, have become schools of brutality. They are developing the same characteristics as did the games of ancient Rome. The love of domination, the pride in mere brute force, the reckless disregard of life are exerting upon the youth a power to demoralizing that is appalling. Other athletic games, though not so brutalizing, are scarcely less objectionable because of the excess to which they are carried. They stimulate the love of pleasure and excitement, thus fostering a distaste for useful labor, a disposition to shun practical duties and responsibilities. They tend to destroy a relish for life's sober realities and its tranquil enjoyments. Thus the door is open to dissipation and lawlessness with their terrible results. In early ages, with the people who were under God's direction, life was simple. They lived close to the heart of nature. Their children shared in the labor of the parents and studied the beauties and mysteries of nature's treasure house. And in the quiet of field and wood, they pondered those mighty truths handed down as a sacred trust from generation to generation. Such training produced strong men. 
In this age, life has become artificial, and men have degenerated. While we may not return fully to the simple habits of those early times, we may learn from them lessons that will make our seasons of recreation what the name implies, seasons of true upbuilding for body and mind and soul. Let several families living in a city or a village unite and leave the occupations which have taxed them physically and mentally and make an excursion into the country to the side of a fine lake or to a nice grove where the scenery of nature is beautiful. They should provide themselves with plain hygienic food, the very best fruits and grains, and spread their table under the shade of some tree or under the canopy of heaven. The ride, the exercise, and the scenery will quicken the appetite, and they can enjoy a repast which kings might envy. On such occasions, parents and children should feel free from care, labor, and perplexity. Parents should become children with their children, making everything as pleasant for them as possible. Let the whole day be given to recreation, exercise in the open air, for those whose employment has been within doors and sedentary will be beneficial to health. All who can should feel it a duty to pursue this course. Nothing will be lost, but much gained. They can return to their occupations with new life and new courage to engage in their labor with zeal, and they are better prepared to resist disease. Do not think that God wishes us to yield up everything which it is for our happiness here to retain. All he requires us to give up is that which would not be for our good and happiness to retain. That God who has planted the noble trees and clothed them with their rich foliage and given us the brilliant and beautiful shades of the flowers and whose handy and lovely work we see in all the realm of nature does not design to make us unhappy. He does not design that we shall have no taste and take no pleasure in these things. It is his design that we shall enjoy them. It is his design that we shall be happy in the charms of nature, which are his own creating. Gatherings for social intercourse are made in the highest degree profitable and instructive when those who meet together have the love of God glowing in their hearts, when they meet to exchange thoughts in regard to the word of God or to consider methods for advancing his work and doing good to their fellow men. When the Holy Spirit is regarded as a welcome guest at these gatherings, when nothing is said or done to grieve him away, God is honored, and those who meet together are refreshed and strengthened. Our gatherings should be so conducted, and we should so conduct ourselves, that when we return to our homes, we can have a conscience void of offense toward God and man, a consciousness that we have not wounded or injured in any manner those with whom we have been associated or had an injurious influence over them. Jesus reproved self-indulgence in all its forms, yet he was social in his nature. 
He accepted the hospitality of all classes, visiting the homes of the rich and the poor, the learned and the ignorant, and seeking to elevate their thoughts from questions of commonplace life to those things that are spiritual and eternal. He gave no license to dissipation, and no shadow of worldly levity marred his conduct. Yet he found pleasure in scenes of innocent happiness, and by his presence sanctioned the social gathering. A Jewish marriage was an impressive occasion, and its joy was not displeasing to the Son of Man. To the mind of Jesus, the gladness of the wedding festivities pointed forward to the rejoicing of that day when he shall bring home his bride to the Father's house, and the redeemed with a Redeemer shall sit down to the marriage supper of the Lamb. When invited, as his work commenced, to a dinner or feast by Pharisee or publican, he accepted the invitation. On such occasions, Christ controlled the table talk and gave many precious lessons. Those present listened to him, for had he not healed their sick, comforted their sorrowing, taken their children in his arms and blessed them, publicans and sinners were drawn to him, and when he opened his lips to speak, their attention was riveted on him. Christ taught his disciples how to conduct themselves when in the company of those who were not religious and those who were. He taught them by example that when attending any public gathering, they need not want for something to say. But his conversation differed most decidedly from that which had been listened to at feast in the past. Every word he uttered was a savor of life unto life to his hearers, and they listened with subdued attention, as though desirous of hearing to a purpose. Ellen G. White and a Pleasant Social Gathering At the close of my long journey east, I reached my home in time to spend New Year's Eve in Healdsburg. The college hall had been fitted up for a Sabbath school reunion. Cypress wreaths, autumn leaves, evergreens and flowers were tastefully arranged and a large bell of evergreens hung from the arched doorway at the entrance to the room. The tree was well loaded with donations which were to be used for the benefit of the poor and to help purchase a bell. On this occasion, nothing was said or done that need burden the conscience of anyone. Some have said to me, Sister White, what do you think of this? Is it in accordance with our faith? I answer them, It is with my faith. God would have every household and every church exerting a winning power to draw the children away from the seducing pleasures of the world and from association with those whose influence would have a corrupting tendency. Study to win the youth to Jesus. Jesus.